So trying to get a real understanding of what does this look like and how does it impact folks? We talk about microaggressions and just try to establish like a base understanding of what are these sort of harmful behaviors that we're seeing? And that's one key component of the training as well. We focus on behaviors and not on people. We focus on what are the behaviors that we want to be different and how do we switch behaviors? Because it's possible that many, many people on that site have engaged in those kind of behaviors before. And how do we not say that that individual is bad, but instead say we can't accept this kind of behavior so that that person has the opportunity and the chance to change. And so we want to be accessible to folks. So the training is a big portion of that. We also have a manager supervisor training, which adds to that. So it's an acknowledgement that when you're in a manager or supervision sort of role, you have an extra piece of how the culture is set in in your role on that work site. And so we talk to them about how do you receive reports? How do you do conflict management? How do you give appropriate feedback? How do you handle these situations? Because a lot of folks who have been put in those positions were picked for those positions because they're really great at their job, but maybe have never been given the skills on how to handle the interpersonal pieces of being a supervisor or manager. You're listening to What's Work Got to Do With It, your go-to resource on all things workplace safety, health, and well-being. This podcast series invites you into the conversation as we discuss how our workplace conditions like work hours, occupational stress, job safety, and other issues affect our lives at work and at home. We go into the science behind it all and talk about what we can do to reduce work-related risks and promote well-being. This podcast is a production of the Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences and Oregon Healthy Workforce Center. This episode was produced and edited by myself, Helen Shuckers, written and hosted by Anjali Ramishbabu, and music provided by Sam Greenspan. Community feedback is important to us, so if you enjoy listening to what's work got to do with it, please consider leaving us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. We really appreciate your continued support. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of What's Work Got to Do With It. On part two of inclusion and worker well-being in the trades, we'll be inviting Tiffany Thompson from Oregon Tradeswomen, as well as Dr. Maura Kelly, professor of sociology at Portland State University. These two individuals are doing some important work helping people gain the right tools, resources, and educational opportunities to engage in the trades in terms of intervening and having open conversations with their colleagues on the job site through programs like Rise Up, as well as evaluation of these programs and the sustainability of respectful workplace programs. They even dive into information on equal employment opportunity lists of risk factors for issues of harassment and construction needs and bystander training on construction work sites through the four Ds, direct, distract, delay, and delegate. Tiffany Thompson started her career working with survivors of interpersonal violence, where she also provided training for service providers on how to work with individuals who have experienced trauma. In 2013, Tiffany first began working at Oregon Tradeswomen and saw the overlap between her previous work and the experiences of tradeswomen in the field. Since then, she has been working diligently within and outside of construction to bring about culture change to ensure that no one experiences the trauma that comes from harassment, bullying, hazing, or any type of interpersonal violence. Tiffany feels particularly honored, grateful, and humbled by the trades worker who have trusted her with their experiences. She feels both determined and hopeful that with the right tools and meaningful partnerships, we can create change together. Dr. Maura Kelly is an associate professor of sociology at Portland State University. She researches inequalities in the construction trades and advocates to increase opportunities for women and people of color. Dr. Kelly's evaluation research has assessed a variety of programs intended to increase the recruitment and retention of diverse workers in the trades, including the ODOT Boley Highway Construction Workforce Development Program, Green Dot for the Trades, the City of Seattle Acceptable Worksites Training, Mentorship Matters, as well as the Oregon Tradeswomen in Constructing Home Pre-Apprenticeship Programs. Tiffany and Mara, we are so excited you're here. So Tiffany, let's get started with you. Tell us what you do at Oregon Trades Women. So your title is Director of Workforce Equity. So that, it seems very impactful, very meaningful, but honestly, a lot. <laughs> but we'd love to hear what you do. In my role at Oregon Trades Women, yes, my title is Director of Workforce Equity and Technical Assistant. But really what that means is I'm the director of the Rise Up program. It means that I work with our partners to talk about how do we actually 
get diverse workers into the construction industry, help them stay in the construction industry and have successful careers. And a lot of that means working on culture change. It means thinking about safety. It means having really hard conversations with folks and helping them understand they have a lot of power to make changes where they work. Um, and a lot of people just don't realize that. And so I feel like most of my job is just really being willing to sit down with people and have a conversation and say, yeah, you can have a huge impact where you work. You just have to be intentional about it and sit down and make the changes that you want to see. And if we give folks the right tools, this can happen. Thank you. That's very helpful. And I think the takeaway is, you know, we think of work as work and, and the way you phrased it and talked about it is just, it's so much more. It's the feeling we have our identity. It's feeling empowered to be able to make some change and to do something meaningful. So that seems like a really heavy, huge role, but also extremely impactful. And even just from that personal one on one standpoint. So we talk a lot about an organizational's responsibility to ensure that workers are not just safe physically at the work site, but also feel included and welcomed and not feel discriminated against. And they're able to come in and do their best. What is the idea of workplace well-being and how did this idea evolve over the years and how has this idea then transformed into action? Well, when we think about it at Rise Up, I'm sure there's lots of other folks out there who have done research and have different ideas about what that means. But, you know, I think for a long time, this idea about workplace well-being just meant hopefully you didn't break your leg while you were at work. Or you didn't die. When we look at the construction industry, there was a while in the there was a while in our industry where folks actually planned right into their budgets that they knew folks were going to die while they were at work, and they planned into their budget for that, which is horrifying when we say that now, right? Because safety culture has transitioned so much, and now when I think about workplace well-being, we are also talking about when we think about safety because that's how I talk about this. We're also talking about psychological safety. We're talking about understanding that the way that folks are treated at work has a huge impact on all aspects of their well-being. We know that stress impacts how our bodies feel. It impacts how we can have our relationships. It impacts if we can sleep at night. It impacts how if we can eat and digest our food well. There's all of these impacts. And so when someone comes onto the work site, if we're starting sort of like at this extreme level where they're facing like really severe bullying, hazing, harassment, discrimination, and they're worried for their physical safety, that has wide ranging effects throughout their entire like life through their family. It has health impacts that could impact like for their lifetime, even if they only work at that job for a couple of years. But then also when you talk about workplace well-being, we want to go beyond just making sure that somebody isn't harassed. We want to go to the place of where somebody feels engaged. They contribute to the company. They're contributing to the work. Because in the same way, all of these negative effects can happen. If you feel satisfied at work, if you feel like you're contributing to something, if you feel like you're growing, all of those things can help fight depression, can improve your health, can make life more fulfilling. And so when I think about the vision that we try to work toward at Rise Up, it's not just a vision where somebody can come to work and not have to worry about being hazed or bullied or harassed. It's actually building a vision where somebody comes to work and says, I really want to be here. I'm going to grow. I'm going to have a future. I'm going to have a career. I like coming to work every day. Does that get to what you were hoping I would answer yeah. in that question? <laughs> That is great. Thank you. It's exactly right. Because we're, we're people, we're employees, but it, we're people and we're the same person that comes into work and has all these experiences and then goes back and we spend time with our families, with our friends and our communities. And so, of course, all of these interactions and experiences come back and impact us at work as well. So, you know, and, and very early on, you talked about this holistic idea that goes around worker well-being and workplace safety. And, and this is brings us back to also the total worker health approach where that's exactly what it is. It's, it's the idea of approaching the employee as a human being in the first place and being able to ensure that your workplace is not just um, safe, but also helps that person thrive. And it's so great to see that when we're part of a total worker health center of excellence. And so our job is to provide, provide the evidence and the research to all of the things that you talked about, like the long-term impacts of stress and inclusion and, and a positive workplace. And then your angle of what you do with these workers on the work site, you know, is 
it really comes back to seeing both sides of that issue. You see the science behind it, and then you see it plugged into action. And it's so great that it all comes together that way. So thank you for describing it. So in part one of this two-part episode, Kelly Kupchak, who's the executive director of Oregon Trades Women, and also a member of our center's external advisory committee, talked about Rise Up. And just as you did, Tiffany, the beginning, tell us more about this. So Rise Up is a, I, I'm starting to refer to it as a movement rather than, than just a program, but it started with our sister organization, ANU, which is Apprenticeship and Non-Traditional Employment for Women based out of Seattle. And it is a culture change program that was designed by construction for construction. And now given that it was developed by a trades worker organization, you know, the initial intent of it is to look at how do we stop bullying, hazing, and harassment from happening on construction work sites. And it's really grown from there. And so the main component of it, the, the most public facing component of it is worker training. And so that includes all levels of workers on a site. And that training focuses on, you know, building awareness around what are, what even are these issues? So many trainings just say, I'm going to give a legal definition of harassment. What does that even mean? Most of us are not attorneys. And so if I say a legal definition of harassment to most folks, they're like, I don't even know how that applies to my life. Like, what does that even mean? So trying to get like a real understanding of what does this look like and how does it impact folks? We talk about microaggressions and just try to establish like a base understanding of what are these sort of harmful behaviors that we're seeing? And that's one key component of the training as well. We focus on behaviors and not on people. We focus on what are the behaviors that we want to be different and how do we switch behaviors? Because it's possible that many, many people on that site have engaged in those kind of behaviors before and how do we not demonize the individual and say that that individual is bad, but instead say we can't accept this kind of behavior so that that person has the opportunity and the chance to change. And also because if you hear me say that your best friend is a bad person because they made an inappropriate joke at work, I'm gonna stop listening to you because I don't know you, but I do know my best friend. Right. And so we want to be accessible to folks. So the training is a big portion of that. We also have a manager supervisor training, which adds to that. So it's an acknowledgement that when you're in a manager or supervision sort of role, you have an extra piece of how the culture is set in your role on that work site. And so we talk to them about how do you receive reports? How do you do conflict management? How do you give appropriate feedback? How do you handle these situations? Because a lot of folks who have been put in those positions were picked for those positions because they're really great at their job, but maybe have never been given the skills on how to handle the interpersonal pieces of being a supervisor or manager. So we want to equip them with some of those skills. But then in addition to that, we really consider doing this work a partnership. If we want to get to culture change, we can't do it by ourselves. And a company can't do it by themselves without partnership with other companies. And to get to the place that we really want to get to, we envision it as like a six step process. So there are other components that we go through in partnership, meeting that company where they're at and setting really clear goals with that company about where they want to be and trying to meet those goals incrementally. So that means things like educating their leadership so that the companies on everybody in the company is on the same page. It means forming a cultural committee and that can look different ways depending on what their company looks like, how big they are. It's things like helping them listen to their employees, not just when, you know, there are complaints to be had, but like, how do you open the door for suggestions and ways to make your company stronger? And then how do you measure the results? How do you know what we're doing is being effective? And that's where some of the, you know, key research that Mora is doing is so important because we need to, we talk to companies all the time about here's what we know and here's what we have to learn. And so is the training that we're doing even being effective? That's a big part of what Mora contributes to this as well. It's so, so important to what we're doing because I don't want to be out there spending time with folks and asking to make change and then nothing's coming from it. We need actual change. But also for those companies saying, if you set a goal of saying, this is where I want to be, say a company has never been a training agent with an apprenticeship program before, that's a pretty big goal to take on. Okay, let's talk about how you meet that goal. So that means, you know, all of the companies have to start from the place that they're at and set realistic goals, but that means we have to measure them and hold ourselves accountable to that 
both as Rise Up as a partner, but also as that company. And so, you know, there's all of this stuff happening in the background behind the training as well. It can involve equity assessments and lots of technical assistance and all of these other components. Because if we go out there and, I, and we do a training and it's a one-off training, and then somebody reports or somebody tries to do bystander intervention, for example, have a real tool that they can do to change the job site culture, but then nothing happens from the company and there's no backing, my training just meant nothing because they've just put themselves out in a position where they might get fired, they might get ostracized by their coworkers because there's no support around them. But the same can be said if I go in and I just do policy work, but there's no messaging, no clear expectations set, no training for folks about how they contribute to reinforcing those policies and procedures, then those also mean nothing because nobody actually knows about them. Nobody knows how to use them. Nobody has trust in them. And often they're written in legalese. So nobody, often nobody really knows what they mean except for the 10 people that contributed to writing them. So that's why Rise Up has all of these components is because we really see that all of those things have to work together to really get to the change that we want to see. That's great. I'm trying to think because you had such a great response there with so many layers and I want to ask questions on all of them. <laughs> but I'll say that you, you know, you brought so many different distinctions up and I think that's what's so great about this because you're distinguishing between the behavior and the person. And I think especially in the current landscape, that is so important to remember that we we are people and we make mistakes, but we also have the potential to learn. You also make that great point about um, legalese, right? And, and I suppose that part of that, the implication of those legal specifications in there is that you know what to do when there's a rule broken, right? So there is a kind of a technical uh, need for that, but also what does it mean to people, right? We, how many, how many contracts do we see? We just go to the end and say, agree, and that's that, right? So it's all part of that, <laughs> being able to understand that as well. So, and then the third piece of this, it sounds like, um, is a rise up is a really well informed and well put together multi component program. And I wanted to ask, it sounds like this is something that can be tailored to, uh, to an organization because the other great point you brought up is that every organization is different and culture change is a multi layered needs a multi layered multi level approach. So it's great that, you know, you have these trainings at employee levels and at supervisor and management levels, but also am I right in thinking that you can, any company, any work site can take rise up and be able to apply it regardless of where they are in their own um, in their own goals and mission or previous experience? I would say yes, with the caveat that it's focused on construction. Like, I don't know yeah. if somebody came to me from an industry outside of construction that I could say, I know this is going to work there. I know that it's based in best practices and culture change, but all of my examples, a lot of the things that we're, you know, employing in it are based in those best practices but really, really intended for construction. But otherwise, yes, any company has components that they could absolutely implement. And it is, I would say, tailorable. Um, and what I mean by that is when I when I hear the term customizable, what a company thinks is they is that they can come to me and say, cool, well, I only I only want to train my three man like three managers, and that's all that I want to train, and that's all that's gonna work for me, and then they're done. And that's not necessarily what we do. What I mean by tailorable is that it has to be conversation. And that's why I'm really clear about using the term partner, because we don't see it as clients. You're not just coming to us and paying for a project. We're entering into a partnership where I need to understand more about your company and recognize that you're bringing your expertise in construction and in your company and in your company's current culture and the values that you want to portray as a company. But what we're bringing to the table is expertise in culture change and how you do inclusion and how you work with diverse workers and how you do outreach and recruitment. And we need to come to a place where we're meeting in the best practices of both of those worlds in order to have success. So I'm not customizable because I'm not going to give up on the pieces that I know work for culture change, but I am willing to tailor it in a way that makes sense for your, for your company. 
That makes a lot of sense. So start with your core components that are non-negotiable and then you tailor the rest of it. Uh, and this is also a great segue, I think, to, to Mora's work. So, because you talked about implementation, there's no point putting all these programs out. You know, there are more trainings than I think we can count at this point with different, you know, from um, different industries, there's different needs, but are they effective? One, and two, are they likely to stick around and be sustainable? So that's the, the other piece to that as well. But Maura, I'm so sorry, but if you just was one quick clarification that came to mind when Tiffany talked about bystander trainings, I would love for our listeners to have a really quick description of what that means. Bystander intervention is basically how do you have the tools and skills available to you when you see something on a work site that crosses your own line that you feel like you have a problem with? What do you do to to be involved in that situation and change it. And we simplify it um, to what we call the Ds. So it's direct, distract, delay, and delegate. And we help folks understand what those mean so that in the moment when people think of bystander intervention, they often think of just really getting up in someone's face and saying, no, don't ever do that again. And that is an option for some of us sometimes, and it's a great option. There's nothing wrong with any of these options, but sometimes that won't always work. And so we want folks to be able to think creatively in the moment and know that there are all kinds of different options that they could take. Perhaps it's talking to someone later, perhaps it's getting a friend of someone in this situation who would be better able to have the conversation and helping folks understand that in shifting the culture, they have many options available to them and that we can just help them use those tools more readily to be creative in the moment. Great. Thank you. So Maura, so joining us in part two of this episode is Dr. Maura Kelly. Maura is a professor of uh, sociology at Portland State University and is evaluating programs like Rise Up. So Maura, Maura we'd love to hear what you do, um, what, you, what drew you to the rise up and programs like this to and working with Oregon tradeswomen, um, and and tell us about your experience evaluating programs like these. Sure, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, so I've been studying the construction workforce in Oregon and Washington for about ten years. My interest is in inequalities in the labor force, and the construction trades was a really interesting industry to look at in terms of the experiences of women and people of color people who have been historically and continue to be excluded um, from the trades. So that's how I found my way in. I was first engaged in respectful uh, workplace interventions, what Tiffany calls the, the movement, I love it, when Green Dot was initially adapted for the trades um, by the organization Altruistic. And I did the evaluation on that first pilot project, working closely with Tiffany at Oregon Tradeswomen, as well as the contractor and the Altruistic staff. And I'm currently collecting data on a TriMet job site where Green Dot has been implemented. And I've also evaluated trainings to support the City of Seattle's acceptable worksite policy. And these trainings are based on the Rise Up model and were implemented by ANU. One of the things I wanted to say just to build on what Tiffany was sharing is that this is a really big change. This is a big change. This has been a problem for a really long time. And I like to think about it. We often hear this comparison with the shift toward safety and Tiffany alluded to that earlier that there was a fundamental shift in the industry uh, where people now people are doing things more safely than they used to. So I'm, I think about a time when I was collecting data on a, a job site for evaluation and there had been a safety incident um, prior. And so at the morning meeting, the contractor staff spent like 20 minutes debriefing about the safety incident. So it wasn't anybody's fault. No one had gotten hurt. You know, something had happened and some materials had fallen. And so it was treated as an extremely serious issue. They spent, you know, like 20 minutes of the time of many, many workers sort of stopped the job site for that time to debrief about that safety incident. And I really wonder what would it look like if we were to give job site culture, that same level of attention, if we viewed that as worth the time in the way that we view safety as worth the time of taking everyone off the job site to have a conversation about it. So I think about what is the end goal is, I don't think we're ever gonna completely address harassment on construction job sites. I think what we could see is something like what we've seen with safety, where there's a lot less harassment on the job site and when it happens, it's dealt with appropriately. I think that is kind 
kind of where we will get to rather than seeing no harassment, we will get it down to, you know, the lowest possible levels. And I think that there, I, I do see this happening. Uh, there have been calls for these sorts of changes coming from advocates for a long time, but there's something about the current moment where I'm definitely seeing a lot more commitment on the part of a lot of different stakeholders to, to really address this issue and do the hard work that Tiffany is talking about, really committing um, to the time and resources needed in order to do this effectively. So it's a really exciting time to be studying these topics. It is exciting. And, and also, like you said, big, right? It's, it's, it's so much and so much to take on, but it's been the time for it for a long time now. And we're finally, we're getting there and getting there in more constructive and more well thought out ways. Also, I think that's the other important piece to this, that when you want to start doing culture change or when the, when the concept is new, you tend to throw everything you have at it. They may not be scientific, but also they may not even fulfill the need you're trying to, or, or in the worst case, make it, make it a worse situation than you started out with. So it's great that we have more and more clarity on what this means and how we can go about it. So that's, that's helpful. So thanks for describing all of that. A few follow-up questions as you were talking, but uh, when you talk about evaluating, what exactly, what are some of the things you're looking at? Is it, you're obviously you're looking at the impact of these programs, right? But are you also looking at what it takes to put these programs together? And from a logistical standpoint, you know, evaluating the, the costs and the benefits of things, just a sense of what, what goes into that evaluation piece, which is critical. Yeah, yeah, we measure a couple of different things. Uh, one thing we measure is people's perceptions of their employer. That is their employer going to deal with harassment when it occurs? Um, are there consequences when people uh, harass and discriminate other workers on the job site? So that's kind of one piece of it, kind of getting at those policy and process issues that Tiffany was talking about earlier. The main measures that we're looking for in terms of what would be a you know positive outcome of the evaluation is do the programs increase people's likelihood of responding when they see harassment. So when they see something on the job site that crosses their line, do they do something about it? And that could be the D's, that could be a formal report. We just want people to intervene, do something when they see harassment occurring. And then the other measure, sort of the ultimate goal, is to see the levels of job site harassment decrease. And the way that we've been asking about it is by asking people how often they've seen specific behaviors. We found that if you ask people about harassment using that word, that they tend to say, oh, there's no harassment or, you know, hardly any. But if you ask about specific behaviors, if you say, have you seen someone experience unwanted sexual comments? Have you seen someone be uh, cursed at? Have you seen someone be ignored or isolated on a job site? I think we can start to get at those culture questions. Um, and so we ask about some of the things that we found to be the most common forms of harassment and discrimination on the job site. And so our research design is do surveys on the job site. So I bring my, my team of, of researchers with clipboards and we have folks uh, fill, out the, fill out the surveys, usually at a morning meeting uh, when all of the workers are assembled together. And we do it over time. So we usually uh, like to do at least three waves of data collection so we can track those changes over time. So we can see with the rollout of the program, are we seeing more people intervening? And hopefully by the end of the program, we'd like to see the overall levels of job site harassment go down. That provides a great picture of the implementation, but also the evaluation piece. And so just to clarify, all of this happens on work time of people on the work sites? Okay. that's, yeah. that's so this is one of the asks of contractors. It's getting time to have your managers go to those trainings, make sure that your inside office staff is all trained up um, and knows uh, what, what's happening with this implementation. But then also taking the time to do longer worker trainings as well as shorter booster sessions regularly. That this, in order for this to be effective, it has to sort of stay on the minds of the workers. This can't be sort of a one and done kind of a training. That this needs to be an ongoing effort, a partnership uh, where everybody is working together towards uh, towards this goal. That's great. And I think that's exactly what, um, because I think a lot we've, the idea of trainings, I think are not new anymore, but then they do tend to be one and done the majority of them. And so this is an extended partnership, which as you, as you say, and it's, uh, and that's what really can make that key difference and, and having it on work time too, it also reinforces that the organization prioritizes as well. So that's excellent. 
One more thing I wanted to ask is, though, this is a question to you both. So Rise Up and a lot of the trainings are within the construction industry. Is there a reason why they're more focused on the construction industries or is it just the opportunity? Why is it presented itself? I can start. I mean, I would say my observation is that many of the people working on this now started with the construction industry and identifying the problems that were there and then looking for solutions rather than starting with an intervention and looking for sites to implement them. So for us, we were really looking for, you know, in my research, I, I spent a lot of years documenting the challenges uh, that, that workers face and really trying to think about, okay, how can we go about addressing those? And that's why I was really excited to um, be a part of some of these projects around respectful workplaces because it was offering a real solution to the problems that I was seeing in the industry in my research. For me, I, obviously I'm working at Oregon Tradeswomen. So Oregon Tradeswomen is focused on supporting women getting into the construction industry. And so we were having a lot of women coming back to Oregon Tradeswomen saying, I love this work. I want this to be my career, but I don't know if I can take it anymore. And, you know, through a lot of Mora's research, we've seen really consistently that this is a really top reason, not just for women, not just for folks of color for leaving the industry, but for all workers. So I think that's why, you know, we're focusing on construction because that's the organizations that we're coming from. But I would say this work is happening in other industries. There's really amazing work happening around interventions in the farm worker industry with the Immokalee workers down in Florida. There's a group called Futures Without Violence that has a bunch of resources. They're focusing mostly on domestic and sexual violence, but they have a bunch of resources for workplaces, including like how unions can get involved. So there is a big movement in a lot of places. You know, we saw this happening with the Me Too movement. And I think this really is rise up, went out and said, we want something for construction. And that was the original effort with Green Dot that I was involved in is there wasn't anything for construction. The only thing that was happening in construction was the traditional sort of legal check the box here's our legal please don't harass each other policy training that's like 15 minutes it's in your orientation video the video is from like 1982 and i mean that very literally i'm not even joking i have had work on me it even says at the beginning of video filmed in 1982 and they're still using it in a vhs player and so there, it was this like recognition there's not something there and so rise up kind of looked and said gosh, there's training in construction, but it's not addressing what we want. And then there are these other culture change trainings in other industries, but you can't apply what happens in an office to construction. One, working outdoors where your literal physical safety is dependent on your coworkers is a huge difference. And two, the transient nature of the work is hugely different. You might be on a job site for two weeks or six months, but you're not staying in one place forever. And so there really had to be something specific to construction. So I think that's why there's this, because construction is unique. And the last reason I want to say, too, is in the U.S., construction is one of the last industries where there is this sort of abhorrently low rate of inclusion of diverse workers of all kinds, women of color, white women, men of color, LGBTQ folks, trans folks, like you just do not see very many folks in the industry when you're looking percentage wise. And then if you also look at the 2016 report released by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, in that report, they have a list of sort of the risk factors for issues of harassment on a work site and construction basically meets every single one of those. It makes construction an industry that really needs these kind of interventions because of the particular atmosphere that exists here already and the risk factors that is in construction and the shift to trying to be more inclusive at the same time. There's probably a major need in the construction industry, but also the nice thing about it is that you can learn from this and it can be a model to other industries as well. There are transient workers in different fields as well. And so this is something that they can really benefit from as well. So that's, that's great. Going back to Mara and your uh, and evaluation, are you able to share some of the early results from um, your evaluation of trainings like Rise Up? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I've found across all of the studies is that people who get trainings are more likely to intervene. That we know that providing people with some basic skills, whether it's the D's, whether it's conflict resolution, different kinds of tools that 
people are more able to intervene after receiving some of these trainings as opposed to those that don't. So that's really promising. As we started this, I wasn't 100% sure that we you could get people to change their behavior. It's a it's a really big ask to get someone to intervene and do something when they see harassment. There's so many barriers. There's so many things generally that prevent all people, but and then there's some particular issues in the construction trades that are barriers, discourage might discourage people from from stepping in and doing something. So that's a really promising finding. The pilot of the Green Dot project found we did see some decrease in levels of job site harassment. The ongoing projects, I don't have final findings to share. But my main takeaway from that initial pilot is that there's potential for this to make real change. I think as the program has gotten refined since that initial implementation, I think we're in a better position to see harassment come down more quickly and come down to much lower levels. But an initial finding that we were able to shift the levels of harassment on construction job sites was a really big deal and a really important finding from that initial pilot. The other thing I would say, when we survey workers, we ask them about their attitudes towards the program. And we've got some really interesting findings there that workers tend to view these programs pretty positively, that many times we'll get comments like the you know, the best things about this program are it started conversations, it increased visibility of this issue, um, and a lot of people really recognizing that there is a need um, for change in the industry. As Tiffany was saying earlier, most people don't want to be harassed at work. Most people don't want to work in hostile work environments. And there is some idea that, you know, this is just the culture of the trades, but this is not the culture that a lot of tradespeople want. Um, and a lot of people are really wanting to be respected at work, uh, not be harassed, not be discriminated against. And as Tiffany noted that while these experiences disproportionately impact women and people of color, all tradespeople are working on these job sites that have poor job site culture. So this is something that is really impacting everyone across the industry. Of course, there are people that hate, hate these programs. There's always going to be folks that are not into it. And I think sort of some of the ongoing work is figuring out how to engage those people who are more resistant. And I think the Rise Up program is takes a really good note in that it's really aiming to meet people where they are, that we're not telling you you have to sort of fundamentally change your worldview. We're talking about your behavior at work, and we're talking about some skills that you might adopt in situations where you feel your line has been crossed. And I think that is really promising, especially in comparison to some of these older diversity trainings that we definitely know don't work and make people feel bad and can sometimes exacerbate the problems that they're trying to address. So I think that this new approach to deal Dealing with job site harassment is extremely promising um, and, and really exciting. Hey, honestly, oh, go can ahead. I share a quick story related to those Absolutely. things? Absolutely. Go ahead. Like, I'm not out there doing the formal research, but I totally agree with some of the things that Moore has been saying. And I have a lot of folks approach me and say, as I've worked, you know, out in the out on the sites and I've had like a really long career in this industry, that and it's been more than one person. So this is starting to become like a more generalized story at this point for me. But I think for them, it feels really unique and powerful that they felt a lot of pressure to become involved in the bullying and hazing and harassment themselves in order to avoid being targeted, in order to be able to continue their careers. And they felt like that after going through the training, that they actually had some tools to do something else where before they didn't feel like they had an option. And so that's something that feels really powerful to me. And then the other story that I've heard a couple of times from some folks is that when they've started participating in the training and when they or when they've started intervening and doing things, they've also had folks from their past come and have a conversation with them. And this is some more of those resistant folks who maybe are a little bit more difficult for me when I'm doing trainings. I've had some of those folks come afterward where I'm like, oh, I remember you because you were quite rude to me in a training. And then they come afterward and are like, well, I kind of got approached by somebody that I thought I was friends with who told me that they almost left the trade because of me and have been really surprised by that information. And then they come back and are more willing to engage because they, no one had ever really called them on their behavior before. No one had really told them, hey, you actually harmed me. And I think that that 
is part of the powerful piece of starting these conversations is that it opens up this opportunity for conversations that are way outside of what Rise Up necessarily teaches and just opens the door for people to feel like they can approach people differently to be able to say, hey, actually this does need to change. Right. That's compelling. And I think also that's where culture interventions, so to speak, that's the power of it. It goes so much beyond what you're trying to change into, into everything, into other aspects of work and the work experience as well. You both took me to my next response, but I do have one more clarifying question for Mora. So part of the, the effort here is to ensure that programs like Rise Up and Green Dot are able to stick around. And part of the, um, I guess the the evidence for allowing it to stick around is good data, right? Data that will that that makes the program seem promising. How long do you intend to have these assessments continue in order to build that evidence? Oh, that's a great question. I would like to keep doing the evaluations until we're consistently seeing significant decreases in job site harassment and increases in people's ability to intervene. So, yeah, I think that right now we are still in the data gathering phase where we're seeing which of these programs are working, which programs work the most and the quickest and really trying to identify what are the best practices and making sure that all of the programs that are happening are really using those best practices and learning from one another as we kind of move this work forward. That as Tiffany talked about, this work really started from scratch and that we needed to start with the construction trades and build out these programs from that perspective. And so many of these programs are still kind of in, in that phase of refinement um, and getting to the final product. I anticipate that actually everything will sort of continue to evolve, right, as, as knowledge and research evolves. But I think that in the near future, we will get to sort of a final product that like, this is, this is it, we've tweaked it, we've tried a bunch of different things, these are the things that work the best. That said, I think one of the challenges for me is that thinking about what happens when we start to see shifts across the industry? So right now we're sort of going job site by job site, right? And many people are encountering these programs for the first time. And so it makes sense to do these kind of pre-test, post-test um, kind of approaches. I have to put a little more thought into sort of what happens when we start to get folks that have, that have had contact with these programs on multiple job sites. And also we're starting to see some unions and apprenticeship programs also do some of this work as well. And so really trying to get workers in a lot of different contexts, I think is only going to build the effectiveness of this. So ultimately, I, I guess what I should say is what I would like to see is levels of harassment, you know, dropping to whatever we can agree on might be acceptable levels. I think um, we will debate that when we get there. Let's get those numbers moving in the right direction. Then we can sort of figure out what the stopping point is. And so I would like to see that going forward. I've been tracking um, the experiences of Oregon apprentices. I've been doing biannual surveys, asking people about the kinds of harassment they've seen and experienced. And so we do have some good data over time. So we will know when overall the numbers in the industry start to go down, um, but it's going to take a fair amount of implementation in order to make contact with all of the workers across the construction trades in Oregon. That's a lot of people. Uh, we really need to scale this up and get it going on more job sites in order to really make an overall impact on the industry, as opposed to just making an impact on individual job sites. Great, great point. So, cause I think it's, you know, you're at that point, this really exciting time where you're trying to see some positive effects, the numbers of these incidents going down, um, but also utilization, utilizing that information to make better changes and, you know, and, and at the same time, also thinking long-term to scale them. So there's a lot of different goals we have here, but we're also at a really exciting time to see it all come together. Now I'll go to my question that you, and I think you already, um, both of you talked about this. So what are some of the challenges you're seeing? You know, and I think you, you mentioned people don't like trainings in general, and that's because of the history of trainings, I think, but also what are some of the other things you're seeing as you're implementing and, but also evaluating uh, programs like these and what will help these programs stick around? What are some of the facilitators or why people want to have these things continue apart from the basic goal of making workplaces better? I can start on that one. You know, what I've seen as one of the major challenges is making sure that all of these stakeholders are on board and ready to commit to doing the program, the full implementation of these multiple pieces and making sure that there's 
fidelity to the program and all of the elements that are needed in order to really make that change. So across Oregon and Washington, that's happened in some different ways that I think the most important piece is working collaboratively with stakeholders, contractors, public owners, et cetera, and making sure that everybody's on board and really sees the value in this, that we really talk a lot in this area about the ways in which job site culture can impact retention and productivity and safety. And so we're really trying to make this case that that this is not just about hurt feelings or something like that, right? This is about the well-being of workers, and ultimately, it's about the ability of a of a contractor of a project um, to work its most efficiently and effectively and safely. And so, I think that this piece around building support is something that has been challenging in some cases and in other cases we've seen contractors that are really eager to get this going and really want this on their job sites they don't want to have the kinds of harassment discrimination we've been talking about that they really are committed to this work and willing to put in you know the time and resources to make that happen the other side of things is requiring trainings um, or implementations of multiple components of these programs um, in contracts. And that I think that there's a clear benefit there that if this is an expectation of the owner that there's going to be you know, certain trainings that happen on the job site, it makes sense for it to be in the contract. But on the other hand, we are fairly early in this work and we're still doing a lot of education um, and partnership building to ensure that people do see the value of this and are willing to, to implement it. Um, and I should say willing to implement in a way that's more than just the minimum, right? That, that we wanna see true engagement with the programs, that that's really the only way that they're gonna be effective is if they're implemented in the way that they were intended to. Um, and and uh, yeah, I think that's all I wanted to say. I think I'm on the exact same page with Maura about those pieces. And when I think about the, how do you get them to stick around? It's a capacity building piece. And so when I think about capacity building piece, that means investing resources. And I don't just mean funding. I mean, that that's certainly a piece of it. Um, so, you know, like funding for the organizations that are delivering Rise Up so that we can get more train the trainers out there. Um, we just trained a cohort of facilitators that can do more train the training sessions. But it's also, you know, getting companies to value it so that they're actually investing their staff time in it in the same way that they had to show that safety programs were valuable enough that they invested permanent resources in an ongoing way in their budget for it. So when I envision the long term establishment of these programs, like that they do get taken just as seriously as safety and quite frankly, get tied to safety programs as an essential sort of non-negotiable component of safety programs. And I think that that, I, what I would love to see is beyond it, just like being required in a contract. I do want to see that, but I would love to see a cultural, you know, shift where we get to a place with project owners where it goes beyond just like, oh, I wanna see this in the contract, but it would be the same thing where we would just be like shocked that a contractor wouldn't have a safety program. Like that we would expect that at some point maybe addressing culture becomes a part of a safety rating. When I, so when I think about the long-term pieces of this, I imagine how does it become ingrained into the construction culture itself that addressing these kinds of issues and actually being inclusive is an anticipated and expected part of what a good construction company does. And you're more surprised when it's the opposite, if that makes sense. For sure. So you're aiming for this to become the norm. Just as we're looking at time, obviously we'll put links to Green Dot and Rise Up and anything else that you both have in our show notes. But quickly before we end, I'd like to ask, what is your biggest takeaway or what has been your biggest takeaway encouragement? Whatever you'd like to say from, from this effort for both of you. I'll go first. My biggest takeaway is that this is where the industry is going to go that is not going to be sustainable to have the kinds of job site cultures that the industry has historically had. That there's so many factors um, related to workforce, related to changing expectations, uh, related to new generations having different attitudes, that there's a lot of pieces here. I don't see any other way forward than dealing with job site culture. And I think that, that across the industry, 
I'm seeing a real swell of support for this. Certainly have a ways to go, um, but I think that this is a really exciting moment because we are starting to see real commitments to doing this work, the funding, the time, and the support that is going to be needed in order for this to be successful and to make real change on construction job sites. Thank you. Tiffany. For me, I think my biggest takeaway is hope. When I first started doing this work, you know, I was doing a lot of just responses to folks, uh, being there, listening to their stories, listening to really horrific things that had happened to folks on work sites and just feeling really, really stuck. Like, okay, I'm going to walk one more person through the reporting process. And like, even as I'm saying that to you, I can kind of sort of feel like tears almost coming to my eyes as I remember like how stuck I felt and how stuck I know those people felt. But as I've started, as I've been working on these kind of programs and realizing that if I could shift my mentality to thinking about how can I stop behaviors and how can I give people the tools to do that and started to reframe my thinking in terms of like, if I think about building a building, like if I look at one of the skyscrapers in a city, that is also overwhelming to think about how that gets built. And we teach people how to do that and we give them literal physical tools how to do that. That's exactly what we're doing with Rise Up. It may not be as physical as that, but we're acknowledging that if we want to get to a big vision like that, that we have to give people something tangible that they can do to make that happen. And seeing that change and seeing people grasp those things and be like, oh, this is not just some pie in the sky abstract thing, but there is something that I can do today and tomorrow and the day after and that I can teach my friend to do and that I can talk to my boss about. That gives me hope. Knowing that it's not just me on the phone listening to one more really heart crushing story, but that something can be different tomorrow, even if for right now it's just on that one job site, that it can grow. Such a great place to leave this discussion. Thank you both. This has been so wonderful. And as I said, we'll put all of the information in our notes and I hope that our listeners will go in and read so much great stuff there is to, to learn about it. So thank you both very much for being here today. Thank you as well. Thank you. Thank you to Tiffany as well as Dr. Kelly for their time today sharing all of their work in terms of community engagement and capacity building and investing resources to create these cultural shifts within our trades. You know, honestly, this has been ingrained in the job site culture for far too long. There's still a lot of work to be done in this space, and we greatly appreciate both Tiffany and Dr. Kelly for sharing all of their wealth of information on Rise Up, as well as the evaluation of these programs and what can be done to improve the job site culture in these work sites. We hope that you found something useful out of this episode. And if you have any questions or you want any resources, we will drop all those in the show notes. And thanks so much for tuning in. We always appreciate you staying through the very end and we'll definitely catch you on the next episode. Do you have an idea for a podcast episode or are you interested in being a guest on our podcast? Well, we want to hear from you on those important workplace issues that you'd like to discuss. Please email us at occeltsci at ohsu.edu. That's O-C-C-H-E-A-L-T-H-S-C-I at ohsu.edu. If you want to stay updated on current research, resources, news, and community events, consider following us on our Oregon in the Workplace blog or our social media channels. You can find us on facebook.com slash on Twitter at OHSU Health, or you can find us on LinkedIn by searching Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time.